It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am looking forward to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Lars Nilsson, VP of Global Inside Sales at Cloudera, and a pioneer in the development of the account-based sales development model. Lars, welcome to Accelerate. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. Um, took me a while to get here, but uh, I'm, I'm happy we've connected. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So take a minute, maybe introduce yourself, tell you how you got your start in sales. Yeah, so um, I got my start in sales exactly 29 years ago. 29, uh, okay. 29. I uh, did on-campus interviews at the University of California at Santa Barbara, and I interviewed for this uh, kind of an entry-level sales position with uh, both IBM and Xerox. And I ended up taking the position with Xerox because at the time, they had arguably the best sales training organization or program uh, in, uh, uh, on the planet. Yeah, absolutely. And I was told by a mentor to go get trained how to sell. So um, I sold copiers for the first five years of my career. Copiers? Yeah, I know lots of people have started with Xerox. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it was an unbelievable opportunity to learn how uh, to, to present, to negotiate, to handle objections, to close, um, all the kind of classroom things that um, uh, companies back then invested time uh, with their kind of new um, uh, new hires out of college. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I got my start in a very similar program. So, so you did copiers for five years, then how did you start getting your way into the Valley and startups and so on? Yeah, I, got, uh, I left Xerox for a Swedish biotech firm Still selling hardware. I was selling titanium dental implants to oral surgeons. <laughs> but that, that, that got me my move up to uh, the, the Valley up here in the San Francisco area. And uh, it was in the mid-90s, and it was in the bubble. was uh, just taking off, and uh, right Netscape had, had gone public uh, a few, three years earlier. And uh, I had some friends that said, Lars, you have the kind of disposition and the attitude and the, and, and the hyperness to, to, to love this space. Uh, and they were right. Uh, my first entry into the Valley was a venture-backed company um, called Portal Software, and I joined them in 1997. So you worked for a Swedish company. Now, you, I read somewhere, you speak Swedish, though, right? Uh, I do. Uh, my parents emigrated when I was very young, but I spent uh, 18 summers uh, in Sweden, so uh, it very much um, is a big part of my culture and background, and it was uh, my first language. So um, I do speak it fluently, and uh, I still go back every uh, every year for at least a week. Wow! Yeah, one of my favorite places. I spent a lot of time in Stockholm on business, and uh, pretty, pretty city. Very pretty city. No doubt. Yeah, especially if you're there in the summer, as opposed to the <laughs> as opposed to the winter. <laughs> I just got back two weeks ago from having spent midsummer there, so uh, I can second that. Yeah, yeah. One of my uh, first experiences actually was uh, international business experiences. Was in Sweden. I, I tell the story about uh, walking into my first meeting, meeting the president of this this company. It was actually the the national 
telephone company. And uh, just as I was walking in the building, first international business meeting, I get hit by pigeons walking in the walking in the walking in the door to this meeting, all over my head and my shoulders. And I was like, "Welcome to Stockholm." Oh, there you go, man. Uh, but it was right at yeah, it was just a couple weeks shy of the longest day of the year. So, all right, so let's let's uh, let's get into this topic about account based sales development because it's you know it's something that. I think it's familiar to people that, that work with tech companies. We have a fairly broad audience here, people that uh, maybe sell to the enterprise but really aren't familiar with the concept. So maybe you could define, first of all, what it means. Yeah, so the, uh, the kind of two key parts of that are account-based uh, and sales development. And I'll start with sales development because it's a role that um, I started for this company, Portal Software, about 20 years ago. Um, when my manager, who was managing outside enterprise class sales, turned to me and said, Lars, I don't want my reps uh, uh, generating uh, appointments. Uh, I don't want them cold calling, and I don't want them following up on inbound leads. I want you to build me an organization that does that for my guys. I want my guys in the field selling, negotiating, and closing. I don't want them wasting time. Um, in his words, uh, cold calling and following up on all these, you know, thousands upon thousands of inbound marketing qualified leads. Right. Um, so that's what I did. So a sales development rep is a very, um, a very formal and uh, a very mature role today. And if you have a sales development organization, for the most part, it means that you have a group dedicated um, of selling professionals that are setting up appointments. So they don't retire quota and they don't carry quota um, to close anything other than an appointment for someone uh, that understands the technology that you're about to be uh, uh, selling to them. Um, and it's a handoff um, of a company that is interested and knows about your technology to a selling professional. All right. All right. So, an inside salesperson, or let's say, inside sales development rep, to what could be an inside account rep or a field rep. Correct. Okay. Exactly right. Um, and then the other part is the account based. And again, um, before the notion of account based, which probably became more, you know, really popular a year or two ago on the marketing side. Um, you know, marketing and sales, we're really trying to prospect to anyone and everyone um, that, that they thought could be interested. And certainly there were marketing organizations that were doing programs um, and doing events to try to, um, you know, get eyeballs and interest uh, into the company. But the account-based approach today is very formulaic, um, right? If, if you as the company selling uh, a solution or a product uh, understands um, uh, the exact uh, makeup and the type of company that should be interested in your products, then go ahead and target them very specifically. Target the, uh, the procurers, the uh, influencers, uh, the decision makers for that technology um, with a relevant message, a relevant message that uh, talks to the use cases um, that your solution can help them solve. Um, talk about the pain points. Um, and what's amazing today is that, you know, 
10, 15, 20 years ago, um, it was very difficult to prospect into individual contributors or managers or directors, even VPs. They weren't found in any relevant databases. Um, you really could only target a C-level executive that you could find um, in a, you know, these curated databases like um, um, Hoover's right. one source. But today with LinkedIn and data.com and that prospect, you can legitimately uh, pinpoint um, the role and the title um, that hopefully uh, you understand uh, makes these decisions for a targeted company, send them the message in hopes that um, you're, ta- you know, you're targeting your message at the right person at, at a company that you believe uh, uh, should be um, should understand what you're doing, and also that you're interested to talk to. Right. Well, and one thing that that with the account based focus is what you're hoping that you get away from is this pure sort of focus that we see with a lot of inside sales companies or sales, inside sales teams on sort of quantity versus quality. And it seems like the account based sales development model really puts more of the focus on the quality. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, at Cloudera, um, we're a Hadoop distribution vendor, and we sell big data solutions to companies, to larger enterprises that have a big data problem or a hell of a lot of data. And we've done enough. We've closed enough business, enough logos to understand in a certain um, industry, in a certain size company, these are the people that we have sold to, so we know their roles, we know their titles. So if we have solved big data problems for, um, let's say, a financial services-oriented uh, company above $10 billion in revenues, then it would seem likely that if we found those like roles and titles in a company we haven't sold to, that we can go scrape those or, or curate those out of a, um, um, a contact-relevant database um, where we can get their phone numbers and their email addresses readily available, that we can send um, very specific messages um, and hope to solve the problems that they may have as well. So we're no longer kind of spraying and praying a message out there to random companies, uh, to you know every employee or a large group of people inside that. Um, we're sending the message to a group of individuals at one company so I wouldn't, I wouldn't at all call it spamming um, a bunch of people at one company. I would call it we are taking a business-relevant message and um, hoping that, you know, anywhere from 10 to 50 people that, that might own uh, solving that problem at that company. Um, and, and, and we believe that if we send them a relevant message, they're going to open the email, they're going to look at it, read it, and we hope that they'll re- respond or at least click through on a link that is directing them maybe to some, um, some metrics, some ROI metrics or some uh, uh, relevant research um, about how our technology has solved a problem for another like company. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's, you know, for people that listen to this, because, you know, some of the feedback you hear about the account-based model is that, hey, you know, that's that's really nothing new, right? I mean, if you've been selling into a large enterprise, you talked about, hey, you have to identify, if you've sold into a few of those accounts, you have to identify the relevant roles and influencers and so on. But one of the real differences is, I think, for people to really understand is that 
Now there's, given the technology that's available, given the resources, you said the database is available, you can certainly accelerate that process in a much more targeted way than you could before, whereas before it could be you make a phone call, you open a door, you get a reference to somebody, make another phone call in, and so on. You have to do it very methodically, but very slowly, build up those list of contacts. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And certainly when I got my start at Xerox, um, that's exactly what I was doing. But I was a sales rep and I was doing it as a one-off basis. Um, And I'll go back to the first part of this, which is the sales development. And if you have this role, um, right, um, at Cloudera, I can have one SDR execute two to three of these campaigns uh, a week. So over a period of a month or two, and we've got um, close to 60 SDRs, we can launch, um, you know, one to 200 outbound targeted campaigns um, uh, a week uh, into 100 or more accounts. All right. Well, so, let's, yeah, let's, 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 let's talk about what one of those campaigns looks like. So it sort of starts with you put together this consolidated view of an account, I guess, to start with. You you know who these people are. You've either through LinkedIn or Navigator or NetProspects or Day.com or someplace, you've identified who those contacts are within that account that are likely to, as you said, to have the pain point associated with your solution. That's exactly right. And, uh, and there are a number of places you can go, including... Uh, by looking at your own CRM and understanding how many of those contacts are, have already opted in from previous campaigns that you may have done. But what we're finding is that where we may have 10 or 20 opt-in contacts already in our CRM at Cloudera, when we're going into LinkedIn or data.com, we're finding um, almost 10x the number of targeted individuals that have not opted in, but that are generally available in uh, a database like LinkedIn, which is, uh, you know, sales professionals all over the world are using that to target uh, messaging to. And so uh, we're just improving upon um, uh, where our marketing team has perhaps um, garnered, you know, a handful of names here or there over you know, uh, you know, a handful of years, we're augmenting that with um, several more extremely relevant titles and roles um, that aren't in there, and adding adding that to this um, campaign, this this outbound um, kind of email drip sequence campaign that uh, we're then going to put together, um, and I think that's where some of the other art comes from is. Uh, how many emails you decide to put together in one of these outbound campaigns, mm-hmm. and 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 whether you sequence them out, um, and you know what is the uh, the cadence? Do you do it? Uh, we don't do it um, by the hour or by the week, but we drip them out um, somewhere between two and a half and three and a half days after each other. And so. Talk about the sequence. You're going to use. We'll talk about the tools you use to to do that. But before you get to that, the question I had about uh, your once you got your consolidated view of your account. Let's say for Cloudera, on average, for one of your ideal client prospects, how many contacts are you reaching out to within a single account? So um, the big, uh, the bigger the account, the more relevant titles and roles that we have to go after. I'll give an example. Um, if you're going after a very large, 
you know, $100 billion-plus financial institution that is global, that has divisions and departments all over the world, you might be talking up to, you know, hundreds um, of people that uh, have uh, uh, titles, relevant sure. titles. Um, and as you go down um, into, let's say, uh, mid-market, there may only be five or ten people. So I, there's a lot of people that ask me, what's the ideal size account? Um, for us, it's companies above a billion dollars, mm-hmm. uh, 1B, a billion dollars in revenue. That, for us, tells us that they have enough employees, they have enough data, they have enough databases, processes where um, um, wrangling that data and providing a solution for it um, is probably something that uh, they're looking at. Right. Um, And there's only 7,000 of those, uh, maybe 10 in the world. So it's a very um, manageable number for us. It's not hundreds of thousands or millions of entities. It's, you know, uh, five to 10,000. Yeah, well, I spent a good chunk of my career selling to a market that had 500 accounts in it, so worldwide. So, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So, but I think the lesson for people listening to this is that if you if you do the right work, the right pre-work, that there's probably a deeper level or a higher number of people involved that have some sort of influence that you can identify beforehand that you want to make sure you don't short-circuit or shortcut that process. And, and we're constantly revising um, the, the, the level. Sometimes we will go down to individual contributor. I'll give an example. Uh, in some accounts where we don't find uh, maybe more than 25 uh, relevant titles, we might do a search, uh, a keyword search, so that if someone um, has a Hadoop engineer in their, anywhere in their LinkedIn profile, mm-hmm. um, we might add that to the list of people that we do uh, an outbound campaign to, believing that if someone at that company has put Hadoop engineer in their LinkedIn profile, they're going to know uh, they're not only going to know likely who Cloudera is as a company, but they're going to know about our technology. Right. And just for people listening, Hadoop is an open source software that forms sort of the basis of your solution. Correct. Yes. That is, sorry about that. That's okay. Just, that's correct. Yes. Just clarifying. Okay. So so your sequence then, or your cadence that you put together, you said about two and a half days apart, you found works best for you. Uh, so what's sort of the, how many contacts or how many, you know, touch points you put into your cadence? Yeah, so we might, uh, we might load into the solution we use called Outreach anywhere from uh, 25, 50 on the low end up to 2 to 250 on the high end. Um, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to put together a, a, a three email sequence that will execute over uh, you know, a five to seven day period with the first email going out to let's say let's say it's a hundred um, individuals. Right. It's going to go out to all hundred at the same time, and the key for the very first one is to have a very relevant subject line, um, and also to have what we call a hook. The very first sentence has to be something that if and when they read it, they're um, they're right. If 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 the subject allows them to open the email. And the first sentence um, cues them to finish the email. Then um, the hope is that we'll get a reply or we'll get a forward. Um, and the more 
relevant you can get with your subject and the more kind of um, uh, relevant you can get with your hook or your first sentence, uh, we see that the uh, open rates and the reply rates go up as a result. So what sort of open rates and reply rates do you typically find on your campaigns? So I would say that uh, before we set up these campaigns this way, when we and, and again, a lot of companies use marketing automation, whether it's Eloqua or Marketo or Pardot, their marketing organization uses a technology to do nurture emails to large groups of lead objects, you know, mm-hmm. lead names, right. um, with general messaging. We were finding an open rate of between five and eight percent when we when we did those, and uh, excuse me, uh, an, an email open rate of five to eight percent, and we were find, finding reply rates uh, two to three percent. So, sort of typical marketing open rates yeah. and reply rates, right? Correct. And now uh, that we are uh, focusing on one account, but um, you know, anywhere from fifty to two hundred fifty people, we are finding open rates. Uh, range anywhere from 25 on the very low end up to 80% on the high end. And uh, reply rates, um, 10% on the low end up to 45% on the high end. Wow. So so what's the process used internally then to come up with the messaging for that account? Who's involved with that process? Because, um, because this is not something you're just not cut and pasting from previous ones. You're creating a custom message, it sounds like. We are. So we have um, a role here at Cladera called a subject matter expert, and we have six of them. And uh, there's one for each of our kind of target uh, verticals, financial services, healthcare, retail, manufacturing. Um, and those subject matter experts have spent, you know, 20 to 30 years in those verticals. They understand Uh, our use cases and how we're solving problems in those verticals, but they also know how to kind of walk and talk um, uh, the language of those verticals. So they are the ones that are helping us put together our messaging, which is very clean, very crisp, and very short. Um, And so we use words and and, and the language so that if we're um, going into uh, kind of a management or, or mid-management layer um, and talking about use cases, they're the ones who are writing the copy for us. Um, so when we represent uh, three bullet points of how we've solved a big data problem at, let's say, um, a large uh, international airline, mm-hmm. um, they're talking about um, how we have solved that problem for other airlines, but using very specific language that someone in that industry would understand. Right. Um, and so when these, the people that we're sending to are reading it, they believe it. Um, because, uh, so my SDRs, who many of which are uh, zero or one or two years out of college, they don't, they don't talk that language yet. Right. Uh, but the messages that they're sending um, read like they're coming from someone that does. And so, um, and so when they reach out to do their follow-up, I presume they're going to follow up phone calls at some point when somebody replies, right, to set up the meeting. It's not done through email necessarily. Well, what happens a lot of the times, I mean, the, the first thing that an SDR does is they follow up on all the replies. And the replies are typically someone directly responding because the emails are coming from the, SD, the individual, the SDRs themselves. And mm-hmm. so the replies for 
hey, listen, I really appreciate you sending this. Makes sense to me. I'd like for you to set up an appointment with my team leader or my manager, or it could have been a forward that got to someone above or below that person where they're requesting a follow-up. So in a lot of cases, the SDR is quarterbacking a request that comes directly from a reply. Um, um, as we go through the replies after each of the sequence has gone out, um, what we'll end up doing then is making out, um, outreach by phone to the people that opened the email but did not reply, um, hoping that they'll understand perhaps the reason why we're calling one, two, or three days later, and we'll certainly reference the email that we know they opened and maybe read through part of. And so if you don't get a reply, do you do that before the second, the 2.5 days go by and the second email goes out, or do you wait till the end of the campaign? We will typically wait for the end of the campaign. The technology we use has intelligence so that if someone opens and replies to the first email, the second email will not go out. To them, right. And do you, do you then integrate with your marketing system as well to make sure that you're not sending drip messages to these people as well at the same time? Uh, yeah, yes. When, um, and again, um, the, uh, the people that um, we have in our own database, if they were a lead object, we automatically convert them into an account contact um, before we do this campaign. So they'll no longer be left as a lead object for our marketing automation system to drip anything out to. Um, and that's another technology, an auto-conversion or a mass conversion uh, technology. So an SDR, and I'll just give you, let's take Pepsi, for instance. If we're going to do an outbound ABSD campaign to Pepsi, we will look at our CRM, and um, the account will already be set up because it's a strategic account. They may have 10 current contact uh, objects in there. Mm-hmm but another 25 uh, lead objects that have never been converted over, we'll first mass convert all of those over so that we create a single view of all of the opt-in contacts against, against that target account. And so, again, for people listening, a lead object is just a lead, we'll call it. So somebody that's a lead but not, uh, not a contact. Correct. But uh, in, in, in the way we work at Cloudera, a lead object that comes from Pepsi um, should have been converted over against um, the account by an SDR at some point. But um, I think anyone, any operator will, will understand that uh, it often happens that whether those leads came in before the SDR operation was set up or even after, um, to expect uh, the process operation and SDR to convert everything that comes in against an existing account uh, that's a very difficult and complicated process. So we put automation in there and we put all of our target accounts. So Pepsi would be in our auto conversion library. So if a lead tomorrow would come in from Pepsi, our system would um, automatically convert it and it would go from a lead object into a contact against that account. Got it. I don't know, I don't know if that makes sense. And oh, that yeah. makes yeah. Um, things a lot cleaner um, and, and, and then both the SDR and the covering target account rep, they get an alert from the system that we have a new inbound inquiry 
Um, the fact that we auto-convert it makes things a lot cleaner on our end. And then we don't have orphaned lead objects where marketing, they end up in a marketing automation system and they get dripped out these, you know, watered down, um, generalized, I don't want to say watered down, but more general messages. <laughs> just, to just, all just, just in case your marketing department's listening, right. <laughs> <laughs> you, got me. you got me. Thanks for that. So, so you use a tool like Lean Data or something to do your mass conversion? That's exactly the tool we use. Okay. All right. So, yeah, it's, it's, so a couple questions that sort of fall out of this is, so your SDRs that are setting up the appointments and so on is, they don't get involved with qualification at all. If they've got a reply, somebody said we're interested, they're just there to set that meeting. Um, as a part of the qualification and setting up the meeting, they certainly, I mean, these are our targeted accounts, the right. highest, right? So right. in a sense, just getting someone to want to talk to us uh, makes it qualified. But while the kimono is open, they'll certainly ask as many of the questions that we want to prep our covering sales reps as they can, but really it's, it's to set that appointment. So the account executive can make their, whether it's their first, second or third uh, touch point uh, into the account. So by definition, these accounts are already pre-qualified because they're our highest, most strategic accounts. And so how, what's their career path look like for your sales development reps? So that's something that we've also spent time doing. Um, the gap from SDR to outside enterprise account executive is too wide. And so we've created two other roles that allow an SDR after they spent somewhere between one and two years to grow into something what's called a renewals, uh, renewal sales rep. Um, and that is an overlay organization that allows uh, our SDRs to grow into an overlay quota carrying role where they're aligned to an account executive and now they're responsible for not only guiding the renewal in but also trying to find upsell and expansion opportunities so this is sometimes you see this in customer success organizations now um uh yes but at the same time they're um um they're not necessarily a post-sales organization where they're um uh you know, uh, they're monitored on, you know, customer SAT and implementation. Sure. They have a revenue uh, target. Yeah, they're, they're more uh, making sure that the almighty renewal happens a year later and that the process of renewing starts, um, you know, six months before the renewal. So we know the right people. We know if we have a happy customer. Um, and there's a lot of, and, and so, yes, there are a lot of CSM-like activities that they do. Uh, but they're really focused on uh, making sure the renewal is guided properly and that if there are expansion opportunities um, of any type that, that uh, we um, bring those to the field. Um, from there, if they do well, between one and two years, they can move into what's called a corporate account manager. And that is a, a fully quoted uh, retire quota, um, but uh, headquarter based inside sales rep that covers what our sales and medium-sized business, which is companies below a billion dollars. Got it. Um, and from there, if they do well, uh, they can make it uh, into the field as an account executive at Cloudera. And have you had people do the whole transition, all four steps? or We have. We, um, it's a, if everything works the way it's supposed to, it's about a four and a half to five year process. But 
because Cloudera um, has grown massively in the last three years, we have found SDRs in the role of a renewal rep inside of a year and a renewal rep into a corporate account sales manager role inside of a year and out into the field inside of a year. And we've done that six times now. Like it. Um, Great. Yeah, because I mean, you, I mean, obviously, I, I in, my, in this for this program, I talked to a lot of CEOs, founders, sales leaders, and SaaS companies, and so on. And uh, a lot of times, you ask the question about career path, and you get sort of uh, you know blank stare. Yeah, I, I mean, again, SDRs uh, are worth their weight in gold at uh, fast-growing technology companies, and uh, I, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, people coming out of university today going into an SDR role at a venture-backed technology software company, um, the, the intelligence, the, uh, the things that they've been multitasking since they were in high school, I mean, they're able to do so many different things. And, you know, I sometimes joke about, you know, when I take outreach and I combine it with LinkedIn Navigator and I combine it with Lean Data and Salesforce.com or CRM, it's, it's like this perfect uh, video game that allows them to combine all these really cool technologies and I give them a playbook and I put a series of processes together in a best practice and we coin it account-based sales development and they're able to generate, you know, legitimate pipeline, mm-hmm. legitimate demand for a company like Cloudera in our most coveted accounts. Um, so, uh, we were scaling so fast and, and losing SDRs here in the San Francisco Bay area to other companies. So I decided to pick up and, um, um, I began hiring everyone out of, uh, our, uh, we, we, we set up an office in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we are hiring these professionals in the Austin market and in North America, our operation for, SDR renewals, uh, corporate inside sales is all in Austin. Got it. Um, Which speaks to why you were in Austin the last time we spoke. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Makes perfect sense now. And so we're going to move to the last segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the, the first one, Lars, is, is a hypothetical scenario. And in this scenario, this may seem like true life to you, you've just been hired as VP of sales by a company whose sales have stalled out. And the CEO is anxious to get some sort of spark back into the sales organization, get them turned around back on track. So question for you is, what, what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Um, well, as a sales operator for, for two decades and an inside sales operator for two decades, the first thing I would do is run uh, a series of reports out of Salesforce.com just to understand um, what the existing sales team or sales organization has been doing. Um, um, are the activities represented in a CRM? Um, uh, I think adoption of CRM is probably one of the most important things for um, any CEO or executive team to understand because um, if they don't know what the sales team is doing, if they don't know if they're having meetings, having phone calls, um, whether they're face-to-face or online, um, uh, they may not understand uh, and have the answer to, why are we not selling? Um, And so it may just be 
uh, as easy as uh, understanding that, you know, of the 10 people we have on the team, nine of them haven't really trained properly and able properly, and they don't really know how to sell. They don't have the, the, the you know, the right message. Right. Don't have the playbook um, in place. Yeah. Uh, so uh, do I have the right people uh, doing the right things? Um, yes or no. Um, and so anyway, I think, um, uh, and if I find out that uh, I don't have, uh, I, I can't uh, reverse engineer how we've been successful in the past, then, you know, we may have to do a restart. Right. Um, but understanding, uh, and again, I, 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 I think the other thing is what I would do is I would go into um, uh, and call those customers that we've we, you know, we've done good deals with. Uh, and then I would ask them, I would call the person, whether it was a year, two or three, that has been a customer of ours, and I would ask them, why did you buy from us? Um, you know, what was it? Um, at what point in the sales cycle, six months ago, a year ago, did the light bulb go off for you um, that we were the right choice? Um, I would also understand whether or not, you know, we were competing against anyone. You know what are the what, what were the drivers for the deal? Sure. Um, sure. Uh, so those are the first first two things I would do. I think okay. existing customers will guide you exactly to why they bought, and therein lies a bunch of silver bullets to how you can then um, backtrack into helping new reps that are onboarding understand why your customers are buying from you um, versus your competitors or buying you versus doing it manually or, you know, however they did it in the past. Yeah. Not making a change. Right. Okay. Good answer. So got some rapid fire questions for you and give me one word answers, or you can elaborate if you wish. The first one is when you personally, Lars are out selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Telling stories. Um, and, uh, I say this and, uh, uh, I'm going to date myself here, but there's a line in a movie um, called Stripes where um, Bill Murray. <laughs> I love that. Uh, love that movie, Bill yeah. Murray goes in and says, um, "It's not the uniform you wear; it's the stories you tell." Lee Harvey, you are a madman when you stole that cow, and you and your friends try to make it with that cow. I want to party with you, cowboy. <laughs> Um, and I think relating to your prospects, how uh, other companies just got mad value or averted losses or got gain or made money or whatever it was, um, you have to be able to tell that story. And I think that's where a lot of uh, um, value is, is, um, is transferred. Okay, great. So who's your sales role model? Um. So uh, I have, well, several. Um, uh, I would say that uh, I have two. Uh, their names are Kevin Moser and Tom Riley. Uh, they're sales leaders. They were individual contributors. They were sales managers. Um, and then they became sales leaders. And Tom Riley today is the CEO of uh, the company I work for. Um, I see him today having individual uh, conversations with sales reps, uh, with prospects, with customers, um, and uh, he cares. Uh, and so when I listen to him talk about um, not just how Cladera can solve the problem, but how you, the individual, can bring that story, um, uh, he's just really kind of inspirational. And so um, 
uh, he's a guy that uh, I try to emulate, not just on the leadership and management front, but also on the individual contributor front. Okay. So what's one book you'd recommend every salesperson read? So um, I always botched uh, how you pronounce his name, but the book is called The Greatest Salesman in the World. Oh, uh, Ogmandino, I believe, right? Ogmandino. Right. Um, and I, uh, I read that book uh, every couple of years, uh, and I would definitely recommend that to any new existing uh, or older rep uh, leader or manager. Okay, great recommendation. So last question for you. What music's on your playlist these days? Um, Elton John um, uh, and Simon Garfunkel. Uh, I'm a kind of a uh, folk rock uh, guy. I play the guitar, and I'm trying to learn how to play the piano. Um, and I keep going back to, to those two artists. Okay, great. Well, good. Well, Lars, thanks for being on the show. Tell folks how they can find out more about uh, Cloud Error or to get in contact with you. Um, well, God, if you go to our website, cloudarrow.com, um, we've engineered it so that at any level, if you want to contact us, um, you can hit, uh, hit us up. It'll go to one of my SDRs around the globe. And, uh, if they don't get, get back to you within uh, minutes or hours, then, uh, let me know because <laughs> that's how we've set up the operation. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. As somebody who wrote a book called zero time selling, that's exactly what you want to hear. So Lars, again, thanks. And remember, friends make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, listening on your commute, in the gym, or as part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Lars Nilsson, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.